Hello, and welcome to the Autism and Employment podcast series. Our names are Martin and Alex. This is a part two episode of Are People with Autism and Learned Disabilities More Vulnerable to Redundancy During the COVID-19 Pandemic? I will be speaking with Connie and Jennifer. Thank you for joining us today, Connie. How are you? Thank you. Um, I'm great. Um, how are you? Yeah, I'm really good. I'm really excited for this episode. It's it's so important for us to raise this issue because um, COVID-19 yeah. is so current. And obviously we want to get as much research done as possible with this um, podcast episode. Thank, thank, so thank you so much, um, Connie, for agreeing to this. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Um, are you ready for the set of questions? Yep, hit me. Great. Um, are people with autism and other learning disabilities more vulnerable or at risk for losing their jobs during this pandemic? Um, I would say yes. I mean, I can only really go from my personal experience, but I would say yes. You know, that people with autism or other learning disabilities are in fact more vulnerable during this this time. You know, I was an excellent employee, generally went above and beyond at work. When the development team um, department, um, I worked in marketing and website design, uh, was made part-time due to the pandemic. I took on the roles of other people and I still delivered my work on time. I was communicating to my line manager, who was also my mentor, you know, that I needed visual support on some tasks. You know, but I, I was met with frustration, um, you know, when you can sort of tell um, if your colleague or your manager isn't very happy with you um, in some emails or even some meetings. Um, and I just felt that was being a problem for sort of speaking out and asking for support, you know, asking for a, additional support. So, you know, my employer and my line manager were well aware of my, you know, learning disabilities. You know, I, I believe, you know, while, while my employer wouldn't admit it, um, I was made redundant because of my learning disabilities. Uh, in, in fact, I have a, a former colleague from a previous company that I worked with, who was also made redundant during the first lockdown. And, you know, she was very high up. She had a very high up position in the company and had worked there for a couple of years, you know, yet she was made redundant, you know, before the new recruits. And, you know, she was the only person in the company who had declared her disabilities from her knowledge. You know, so immediately she thought the reason she was made redundant was because, you know, she had learned dis disabilities. And she did, in fact, challenge the decision of being made redundant. But, you know, of course, the employer is going to deny it. Uh, yes, of course. You also mentioned something really interesting to me when... Um, I was speaking to mm -hmm. you about this episode about you no longer putting your learned disabilities on your application forms because now you're getting more interest from employers. Can you go into more detail about that, please? Yeah, of course. Um, so, you know, once I was made redundant, um, do, I was doing what anyone would be doing in my situation and I was looking for work. And, you know, I, I want to be as open and honest as possible so with a lot of applications, um, there's an equal opportunities form. And I was, you know, completely honest, um, my CV, my cover letter and filling out any sort of applications like that, whether it's, you know, religion, um, sexuality um, or any disabilities. Um, and I'd fill those out. However, 
um, I, I did not get any response um, from employers um, for an interview. Uh, and it's the first time in my life that I've struggled this much to you know, just get my foot in the door in terms of you know, getting an interview. Um, so I, I made the, de the decision to not put my learning disabilities on my equal opportunities form. And interestingly, um, I was getting more response more responses so in fact I was not getting any responses at all and then when I you know did not disclose my learning difficulties I was getting more responses from employers and it's something that I have decided to withhold now until the the, the future to not disclose my disabilities until I I'm at that interview. Yes, that's um, really shocking to hear, but um, no surprise either since it seems like employers are being more picky with who they interview now since there's a lot more people applying for jobs now. Yeah, I mean, it's more disheartening than anything. Um, I've always been you know, the, the type of worker, whether it's during the recruitment phase or when I'm actually in work, um, to be as open and honest as possible. Um, and it was just a sort of experiment that I did within myself, um, you know, thinking, you know, what, why is it that I'm not getting a response? And the particular jobs that I was applying for was charities. I, I used to work for a charity um, a couple of years ago. One of the jobs I look back on, at, I, I most enjoyed. And so, you know, ironically, I was not hearing back and I, I was applying for hundreds of jobs and not hearing anything back so I thought you know what can I do and I decided remove um that I have learning disabilities from the equal opportunities form um and occasionally my sexual orientation and I, I was I was getting response you know is it part of the reason why I was getting responses is because I was declaring that I have learning disabilities you know of course um thank you Connie so the second question is is further research needed into this issue and why? I would say yes. You know, I think it's a great start. I just don't think it's good enough. You know, the pandemic has affected everybody. You know, working from home isn't always so suitable for people with disabilities. You know, it's clear that while being made, you know, redundant during this time, you know, I think it's the government's responsibility to look into this matter and protect people with disabilities, whatever disability that is. And, you know, um, speaking to more people with disabilities, you know, who have been made redundant like myself, I think will help others to, you know, actually openly speak out about their personal experiences. Because you don't, you know, usually get the reason, um, the real reason why you're being made redundant. You know, into the lockdown for the first time, I don't think the government or businesses were really truly prepared to support working people you know let alone people with disabilities you know I just I overall think it is a, a massive oversight I definitely think you know further research needs to be done in order to improve the experiences for all workers. So the next question is does the pandemic hammer home the way we treat the vulnerable in our society and how do we change it? I would say yes it does um, you know from my personal experience you know, it's highlighted that vulnerable people are are not seen as equals. You know, as I mentioned before, 
um, you know, I have a former colleague from a different company I worked at that was also made redundant. You know, they that, you know, you'll be made redundant because you have learning disabilities. You know, she got the feeling that that was the reason why. Uh, you know, you usually with redundancy with redundancies, um, you know, it starts with the the newest employees or specific departments. You know, she was the first to go. So from her understanding, you know, she was the only person in the company, you know, that had declared disability. Um, you know, so yeah, it, it does make you wonder. People uh, within the LGBT plus community, you know, so I have questioned, you know, whether or not for me, you know, was the decision to be made redundant because of my per personal circumstances, you know, is it because I'm a lesbian? Um, yeah, so, you know, those are my thoughts. I know, um, it's, just, it's just shocking, like, this whole pandemic is just really affecting the vulnerable in our society. And I think it's going to continue personally until we get a vaccine. So the next question is, is there statistics from the Guardian article, such as one in four disabled people losing their job come as a shock to you? you know, actually, I would say it does surprise me. Well, it did surprise me. Uh, you know, one in four people is a very high statistic. It surprises me because of the, the focus on equal opportunity at work. It leads me to believe that while some employers respect employees' personal circumstances, you know, whether that's disabilities or orientation, you know, others don't. So it begs the question, you know, if the government and, you know, businesses are really doing enough to ensure people with disabilities are getting equal chance during the recruitment process, as well as, you know, at work. Um, and it's a, it's a very shocking figure, one in four disabled people losing their jobs, who are disabled. So, you know, it, it, it does make you wonder, and, you know, is that statistic um, higher? Um, will it increase? So, you know, um, and, you know, from my personal experience and then hearing um, former colleagues, uh, it, it does it did shock me before it doesn't really surprise me now mm -hmm. thank you Connie um the last question is do you think the option of working from home is a good idea for people with autism and learned disabilities what are the cons and pros this is a really interesting question because overall I think there are pros and cons and uh, I would say yes and no so people with disabilities need extra support at work you know whether that's in the office or working from home um, and you know it's easier to get that support uh, because you're face to face with your mentors mm -hmm. and even people without disabilities need mentors at work uh, however, you know, when a disabled person is working from home, you know, following instructions via email or call or video chat, you know, it's not always sufficient enough. You know, so for example, I often needed someone to show me physically, you know, visually, you know, what to do when I was stuck or unsure um, because of the type of learning disabilities that I have. 
And, you know, an email just isn't good enough. I needed visual assistance. And so my mentor wasn't always readily available to sort of be on video chat to help me to you know fully understand what needs to be done I don't um, I don't you know get that from working from home I don't get the full support I didn't and you know not getting the right support when you're working from home often makes me feel weirdly guilty or even a bit of a failure um, because working from home can be a barrier which is, you know, a little bit ironic, you know, technology is meant to connect us, but if it's not managed in the right way to suit the person, so say, for example, myself, someone with learning disabilities, you know, it can actually disconnect your employees, um, you know, especially those that have disabilities. I do strongly believe that people with disabilities can work from home if the right support is given. But I also think that, you know, change is harder for people with disabilities. So extra support should be given to those at work with disabilities than those who don't have. Yeah, I agree, Connie. I think that's the end of the questions now. Um, is there anything else you'd like? Also, you don't have any more questions for me. No, no, that's it. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Um, I'm really, really happy with everything you, you have to say. Um, yeah, great. Thank you so much. No worries. Thank you. I'm with Jennifer from California today, who is our next guest. Um, thank you so much for being on today's show, Jennifer. How are you? How are you today? I'm doing well, Alex. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. So the first question is, are people with autism and other learning disabilities more vulnerable or at risk of losing their jobs during this pandemic? So I think they are more vulnerable or at risk because of the pandemic, since employers can use that as an excuse to fire or let go or terminate them, even though they may not or ever have gotten COVID-19, the employer would probably be using it as an excuse to cut down on time, money, and energy that it would take to help that employee that has autism or other learning disabilities. Or, or challenges to perform their job well. And the employer would probably have spent extra time, money and energy to train that employee so that they could do their job as close to the way a neurotypical person would. The next question is, is further research needed into this issue? So I would say yes, I think it is because with people who have uh, autism or other learning disabilities that in order to see how it affects their job a lot that um, just being able to you know see how it affects their livelihood and their family members and friends you know all pieces of their job and life you you would need to do more research to see how all those aspects are affected and you know how they're able to how that individual is able to uh, take care of themselves and, you know, be able to, uh, if they don't have a job, it's like many people are faced with, it's harder for them to pay rent um, and pay for uh, Wi-Fi and food and all the other necessities that they would need to uh, have money to pay for. 
Has any kind of um, similar research been on into this issue in the States? Um, because obviously I sent you that Guardian questionnaire um, about the one in four disabled people have lost their job during COVID-19 in the UK. Has any research been done at all in the States? Like, have you done any research into it yourself? That's a good question. I haven't done research myself, but I did look at the article you sent me and I was very intrigued by the, the article that you sent me. Um, I would say that I haven't heard of any research done in the US, but that doesn't mean that there isn't any. Um, it, it, I would think that there definitely could be research. And I would say, you know, it, it's prob for me, I think it's a new thing that I haven't heard of before. So if, if there is research, it, you know, it's probably a very, very small amount, I would say. And um, because obviously in um, England, we have the National Health Service. So, you know, all our healthcare is paid for with our taxes. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to know personally, if someone gets COVID-19 in the US, does it have to come out of their health insurance? That's a good question. Um, I think it probably, I think it does because our, our health insurance is, is different over here where you, you do have to pay for more things either, either out of pocket, depending on what insurance you have, or, or if you have, you know, usually you have a copay and that, that amount can vary based on your insurance. Um, and sometimes things that are covered by your insurance are, are very different. Um, so I would say COVID-19 could be one of the things that is either, you know, could be partially covered or maybe not covered at all. It, it, I would say it, it would depend on what kind of insurance you would have. That's such a scary thought. That, uh, that, it is. That really terrifies me. I'm so happy to live in a country where we have the NHS. Yeah. It, it's such it's such a godsend, seriously. Especially during this pandemic, our NHS doctors and nurses are working really, really hard. They're, you know, working continuously and people are really starting to appreciate the NHS what it is now. The next question is, does this pandemic pandemic hammer home the way we treat the vulnerable in our society and how do we change it? I think it does hammer home for some in society because of how it can affect their livelihood with like I was saying previously being able to make ends meet if they can't do that or if it's difficult for them then they would be stressed out um they may need therapy or support around that and therapy usually is expensive and that would be make it even harder for them to make uh, ends meet because your insurance doesn't always uh, cover therapy mm -hmm. um, and you know depending on the that, that depends on the quality of your insurance and so you know some insurance can cover, like I was saying to you in your previous question, it depends on what your insurance covers mm -hmm. on things. Um, but yeah, I would say the way you could change it is you could try to create support groups for people and 
offer more resources for people with autism and other learning disabilities, like your podcast and the, and the one I have, and trying to uh, offer resources like the NVLD project has, they have a support group and the name of it is uh, Inspire. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's other support groups on social media and um, for, for people who have learning disabilities like autism or NLD. So it, there are groups out there that they can use for free it, uh, which I would take advantage of first before trying to use something to pay for. Definitely. Um, as well as disabilities, do you think that employers are also um, trying to get rid of other people, like minority groups, like the LGBT community and people from different minorities and um, like older people and younger people? Do you think that is happening in the U.S.? That's a good question. I would say they probably are because, you know, those people could, could, you know, also belong to the, uh, they could have a learning disability or they may not. But, you know, if they don't have a learning disability, they may um, be, the employer may be trying to uh, get rid of them. And, you know, that's unfortunate if that happens. And it could be like with LBGDQ, it could be because of their um, sexual orientation or if it was uh, because of your race, uh, could be that could be the reason. Um, and I would definitely say that uh, sexual orientation and race are issues in the U.S. I know that race has been an issue longer than uh, LGBTQ just because, you know, slavery really existed before. Um, we knew about it before. We knew about people having different sexual orientations. So mm-hmm. yeah, th- th- that would be my answer to that question. Um, this links into the next question. Do the statistics from the Guardian article such as one in four disabled people losing their jobs come as a shock to you? Because in the Guardian article, it's not just disabled people, it's parents and carers. And also another article says it's young people as well um, being made redundant during COVID-19. So everyone in like who is vulnerable are losing their jobs. So like, does this come as a shock to you? So yeah, it, it did kind of shock me because I hadn't read an article like that before. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't aware of people with learning disabilities or, or challenges um, becoming redundant during the pandemic. And now that I am aware, I would try to um, advocate for more people with learning disabilities or challenges um, to be able to work from home because if they can do that, then they don't have to worry as much about becoming unemployed or losing their job. It, it can be a little bit trickier when you work from home if you have a, a learning disability because if you do need the hands-on help with a job, um, you know, you, it, it can be harder to get that if you're doing it um, over technology, but at least you would still have the um, paycheck and money coming in for, for being able to take care of yourself and other people if you have a, 
a family that you're trying to take care of definitely um so what are the pros and cons like of of working from home would you say for people with autism and learned disabilities so yeah I was kind of touching upon that a little bit already but I would say so the pros would be it's um more flexible and safer because you wouldn't get COVID as or you wouldn't be as likely to get COVID it's more convenient and more affordable because you would be saving money on um you know gas and because you wouldn't be driving as much uh to your job and it would allow that that individual to save stress on uh making ends meet with rent food and technology um which would include internet and wi-fi and tv or and they could pay uh utilities and insurance um which would include health and car insurance and all the other bills that they would have to pay more easily. And the main con, I think, like I was touching upon in the last question would be the hands-on help that they might need from the employer or other coworkers for certain tasks. And the other con might be with other, with social issues. If they uh, need to work on their social aspect with coworkers or with their um, boss that might be challenging doing it over Zoom or Skype or any kind of um, technology where you try to uh, do it through camera instead of in real time. Definitely. Um, I completely agree with all your points there. There has been a um, a research project done on working from home for people with disabilities in the UK. It was conducted mm. by a trade union called Unison. And I think they interviewed about 6,000 people and it was quite split on the pros and cons. But like one of the big um, pros for someone working from home with autism was the sensory issues because um, someone said that working from home, they're you know, their sensory issues are less severe because it's more quiet. So the noise sensitivity mm-hmm. is like less intense. And um, also like having more regular breaks as well and de-stressing that way. But yeah, I can see things from like both sides, definitely the pros and cons and working from home. I personally prefer going into the office and working because of the social aspect of, you know, seeing your friends and colleagues. I was just thinking of what you were saying about the um autism aspect I can definitely see where that would um, come into play with the sensory because I've worked with people who have autism and I can see where they would be um, possibly annoyed by the sounds at a workplace and if they're at home obviously they would have less noises and they could they could probably control the noises that they have. And so, yeah, you're right. That that, that would make sense about that. Definitely. Um, I think that's all the questions I have, Jen. Um, would you be able to talk to me, like explain more about your podcast series and what you want to say about it? Sure. So my podcast is about my life with having NLD, which stands for Nonverbal Learning Disability. And I use the word learning challenge on there because I don't really like the word disability because I don't feel like I'm disabled. I just feel like I'm different. Um, 
And I basically what I've been doing is I've been going over the challenges that I've overcome with having NLD and trying to um, just talk through them with um, my audience. And basically I would, one of them, I think my first one that I did was describing what NLD is. And I did um, research on it and backed it up with the research and uh, some articles. And that's usually what I do when I have a podcast. I back it up with an article, usually from somebody else um, who has NLD. And I use the NBLD project because they're a great resource. They have a blog on their uh, website where anybody who wants to can submit a story who, uh, if they have an LD um, and they can, it can be about anything they want to be about. And I like using those stories because before I made the podcast, I didn't really know anybody who had an LD other than me. And so I can use those stories in my podcast to kind of provide another perspective than my own. And I usually just quote a little bit from one of those stories. And it's nice because I I like to be able to just kind of see into somebody else's world. And um, I I didn't think the podcast would become as big as it has. I mean, this is kind of a backside view that nobody else may know, but it's almost at a thousand plays um, and of total plays. And that that's, you know, huge for me. And um, I created a website for it uh, back in September. And um, I, I was, I wasn't sure what, if the website would do anything, but I think it has, I think it's made uh, people made it easier for people to find it and um, made the audience bigger. Definitely, Jen. The fact that you created a podcast on um, nonverbal learning disability is absolutely amazing because, you know, not many people understand what it is. And now that you're on this podcast and you're explaining what it is, you know, there's even more awareness now. Um, So, yeah, like I just want to say nonverbal learning disability is a neurological disorder, which may be on the autistic spectrum, but it hasn't been proven yet. And having to explain the differences between NLD and ASD is quite frustrating at times because there, it is a difference. It's not exactly the same. So like, would you agree, Jen? I would agree with you that it, it is very challenging at times to describe the difference between those two because like with other... Um, learning disabilities on the autism spectrum. And some people do say NLD is on the autism spectrum. And I I think it, personally, I would agree with them because NLD does have social aspects of it, which I would say is the one similar area of it for that it has with autism and that would be true with Asperger's and um, ADHD also. 
And I, I would say that's probably why it's tricky for people to tell the difference because I do know from the research I've done for the podcast that because NLD is relatively, it's not really new. I think the first person who was diagnosed with it was in the 1960s, but because they're not, there's not that much research on it, it's hard for people to understand what it is. And I'm, I'm glad that I'm able to create more awareness around it with the podcast. And so um, I would say that some people, when they're trying to get diagnosed for NLD, they can get misdiagnosed with autism or uh, something else that might be on the ASD uh, spectrum. And that would not be a good thing because if they do have NLD, then they're not going to get the help that they need. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Um, because some of the help that people with NLD receive is specifically for like autism spectrum disorders like Asperger's or like Rett syndrome. So yeah, like you're not getting the help that you need because NLD is unique. So that's why your podcast, like raising awareness and explaining the differences is really, really insightful. And it's long overdue, definitely. I'm glad that you created it sooner rather than later. Thank you. I am too. I, I had the idea of this year because I was, I was think, I was listening to different podcasts, not about learning disabilities, but about um, sexual abuse. And um, I was thinking, you know, it'd be it'd be nice to have a podcast about NLD. And I was thinking, you know. Uh, the idea originally came about ha- trying to have a awareness a month for NLD, and as I was realizing that April is the awareness a month for autism, mm-hmm. and I um, was thinking, you know, more people need to know what NLD is, and I was thinking, you know, I I tried to I did try to write a book about it, about my life with an NLD, but writing isn't an easy thing for me, so. I was thinking a podcast would be easier because it has more audio and verbal in it. And for people who have NLD, that's a lot easier for them to do. And so I decided to do the, a podcast because that's an easier form for me than trying to write a book. So that's, that's really interesting. Cause I think I said to you before, I'm the opposite, even though I have NLD, I prefer writing. That is, I am, I have met more people who, have NLD and are like you, Alex, where they, they are better at writing than uh, talking and, or, or than other audio forms. And I have gone better at writing because my mom helped me in, in, when I was in college because I needed the help. I was a sociology major. So mm-hmm. literally every assignment I did was an essay. I have gotten better and I, I do plan out what I was, what I say in my podcast. And that, that helps because then I can just, you know, not feel nervous about it when I record it. But it is interesting that, you know, people who have an LD can, can be different and unique on their own and have different uh, symptoms from each other. Definitely. Do you think that you'd do an episode or two on COVID-19 in the States? I think I will. I was planning on doing it anyways, because I was going to talk about how my life has changed uh, 
since COVID started. And I want, I was gonna do that after I got through um, some more uh, episodes, but yeah, I do wanna do that because my life has changed uh, and been affected by COVID. So I might, you know, I might even talk about what you introduced to me about the people with learning disabilities being affected by uh, the pandemic and with their jobs. I think that would be a, a good thing to do. Yes, yes, definitely. As many as many podcast creators that can create episodes on this issue would be absolutely amazing and spread the message. I think that's like, I think that's enough for this evening slash this morning. Cause I know that it's morning over there for you, right, Jen? Right. <laughs> okay, great. Well, thank you so much, Jen. And just say one more time the name of your Spotify channel, please. It's called Living with an Invisible Learning Challenge. Great. Thanks so much, Jen. Bye. Bye. I would like to thank my guests, Connie and Jennifer, for joining me on this episode. Join us next time for the last episode of the Are People with Autism and Learning Disabilities More Vulnerable to Redundancy During the COVID-19 Pandemic Series? Thank you and goodbye.